Good afternoon. I'm uh, thankful for everyone who's here tonight. Uh, we want to make sure that uh, you feel welcome if you're visiting with us, and we do have visitors with us. I will let you get, know right from the bat that I'm not the regular speaker. I can't get my mom to come hear me speak. Um, I have been scheduled to speak in 2020, and COVID canceled that. 2021, and she went to the ER rather than come here. And she's still homesick tonight, so I'm not the regular speaker. Please come back to hear someone with a little bit more ability. We have been studying for a while, as I figure out all of the technology over here. We have been uh, studying this year in our what we call our lectureship series, and in uh, ten separate sermons on Sunday night, different men of the congregation will be bringing lessons among from uh, one particular topic, and that topic has to do with uh, this verse that, that you see on the screen behind me. It is these who have not defiled themselves with women, for they are virgins. It is these who follow the Lamb wherever He goes. That's from Revelation 14.4. And so the theme of uh, this year's lectureship series is following the Lamb wherever He goes. And uh, so far we've heard, this is the fourth installment, so far we've heard from Simon in an introductory type lesson to the topic. Uh, we've heard from Chris in uh, following Jesus as he is baptized. We've heard from uh, Robbie in uh, following Jesus as he is tempted. And uh, tonight we are going to be talking about Jesus beginning His ministry in Galilee. And I'll go ahead and read this passage of Scripture and then we'll sort of give an introduction to it. This is from Matthew, the fourth chapter, verses 12 through 17. Uh, and I'll be going back and forth depending on what I have. Um, I studied from the English Standard Version and also from the uh, 1995 New American Standard. So there's going to be some kind of play back and forth. But I hope that you can follow along. Now when he heard that John had been arrested, he withdrew into Galilee. And leaving Nazareth, he went and lived in Capernaum by the sea, in the territory of Zebulun and Naphtali, so that what was spoken by the prophet might be fulfilled, the land of Zebulun and the land of Naphtali, the way of the sea beyond the Jordan, Galilee of the Gentiles. The people dwelling in darkness have seen a great light. And for those dwelling in the region and shadow of death, on them a light has dawned. From that time, Jesus began to preach, saying, Repent, for the kingdom of heaven is at hand. And so what we're going to look at tonight is um, Jesus as He begins His ministry in Galilee. And that leaves a lot to be interpreted. How do, how do I attack that? Well, Simon stole my first idea. And then, then uh, we, we back that up with uh, a... Uh, a few lessons in a, in a gospel meeting about discipleship, so I've abandoned that idea. I'm on my fourth idea, so I'm sort of thankful that tonight I am speaking to you, because I don't have to go into another idea that comes into my head. But the, the thing that had occurred to me, and, and I, I kept toying with it a lot, is that shortly after these verses, well, immediately after these verses in Matthew, what you have is an account of Jesus beginning to call his apostles. In fact, uh, just after this, he, um, in the reading in Matthew, 
he comes upon Peter, Andrew, and then James and John, two separate occasions, and he tells them pretty much the same thing. He finds them doing what they normally do, and that's being fishers, being actual fishermen. And uh, he tells them to put down their nets, follow him, and that's what they do. Um, and so I, I'm, I'm going to look at tonight's lesson from the standpoint of what Jesus taught his apostles, his disciples, those that followed him closely. The 12 that followed him closely, a few other disciples that stayed with him pretty much throughout the time that he went back and forth between Judea, or between Galilee and Judea. Okay, so there's my disclaimer. I'm going to start every point that I make in Galilee. But we're going to leak into Judea and, and Jerusalem some as well. Um, not going to Samaria tonight. For those not familiar with a map, uh, if you're looking at, at, at uh, the area of Galilee, which is actually what would be considered Jesus' hometown, even though he was born in Bethlehem, which is in Judea, um, there are cities that you might recognize like Cana and Nazareth and Capernaum. Uh, Bob mentioned, my mind just went blank, Tiberias this morning, uh, or Genesaret. The Sea of Galilee is actually known by three different names very, very commonly. It's either the Sea of Galilee or the Sea of Tiberias or the Sea of Genesaret. And so all of those would apply. Uh, and, and much of what we read, especially in the Gospels of Matthew and Mark and Luke, takes place in the region of Galilee. Uh, goes back and forth. Uh, the, the Gospel of John more so deals with things that occurred um, more in Judea or Jerusalem. In fact, there's a, a large portion of the Gospel of John that deals with just that last week of Jesus' life. So we know that he's in the region of Judea, Judea during that time. But all of, all of that to say a, a disclaimer is that for those that are legal out there, I'm not going to just stay in Galilee. So um, anyway. So why look at the lessons that Jesus taught to his apostles or his disciples? Because those same lessons apply to us. And what Jesus was trying to do was trying to prepare these few people that were following him to take up his mission after he left. That, that, that was one of his main goals. Uh, if you look at the prayer that's offered in John the 17th chapter, where, where Jesus prayed for his, his uh, apostles and, and then by um, the end of the prayer he gets to us. If you look at that prayer, he's very concerned with these men that God has given to him. And that he has done what he was supposed to do with those men and preparing them for what would take place. You see it following his crucifixion and, and uh, his resurrection, but, but prior to his ascension, that he actually spends time with them during the 40 days that he was able to, preparing them further. And then even, even said that, that the, uh, the Spirit would be there to help them out as well. So, this was what he was trying to do, was prepare these men to carry on his mission, and that is to take the gospel, the good news, to sinners. And that's what we're supposed to be doing. He started out in Matthew, the fourth chapter, just after what we have here, saying, come with me, follow me, and I'll make you fishers of men. And that's what we're supposed to be. 
So as we look at these things that he taught while he was around his, his close disciples, let's take these lessons to heart. And I'm only really going to focus on one particular, see if we go in the right direction. I'm going to focus on one, but I, I do want to look and just briefly mention a few others. And I, I think we could safely say that, that one of the lessons he tried to teach them is that God's will is first and foremost. It's the only thing that's really important. That doesn't, in the back, that does not show up as well as I thought it would, but I hope it does for you. Matthew 6 and verse 10, and as Jesus is teaching his disciples to pray, he says, your will be done. After he addresses the Father, your will be done. Mark the th third chapter in verse 31 through verse 35. He, said, he is uh, speaking to a group and his mother and his brothers are trying to get into him. And he's informed that they're outside this little group and they want to get into him. His response is, whoever does the will of God, he is my brother and my sister and my mother. In John the sixth chapter in verse 38 through 40, Jesus is instructing people there, he came not to do his own will, but the will of him who sent me. And then in John the third chapter in verses 16 through 17, a passage we're very familiar with, God sent Jesus so that the world might be saved through him. He taught not only that lesson, he taught the lessons about humility. Going back to the Sermon on the Mount, which is if you, if you take Matthew 5 through 7, <clears throat> all of that takes place in Galilee. That's the Sermon on the Mount is right around the Sea of Galilee. But in uh, Matthew the 5th chapter in verse 3, the very first thing he says as he addresses those disciples that are around him on the mountain, blessed are the poor in spirit. Blessed are those who have emptied themselves and are ready to refill themselves with something else. In Luke, the 14th chapter, in verses 7 through 11, he tells a parable about the wedding feast. And in that parable, the main point of that parable is that when you go into a wedding feast, don't, don't take the high seat so that somebody might come along and say, hey, you're going to have to move and go down to this lower seat so that you might be embarrassed, but take the lower seat. And then you might, you might be uh, moved up to the higher seat. Luke, the 18th chapter, he tells the story of the Pharisee and the tax collector. And you remember these two men went down to the temple to, to pray, and, and the Pharisee was, was um, very vocal with his prayers, was basically praying so that others would hear him pray. The tax collector wouldn't even lift his, voice, lift his uh, eyes up toward heaven. And at the end of that parable, he, he says, those that humble themselves will be exalted. Those that exalt themselves will be humbled. In Philippians 2nd chapter, verses 5 through 11, which is a very familiar passage to most of us, where Jesus is, is, is being talked about by Paul as the ultimate example of humility, verse 7 says that he emptied himself by taking the form of a servant and being found as a man Verse 8 says, He humbled Himself by becoming obedient to the point of death, even the death of the cross. And then in John the 13th chapter, another passage that's very familiar to most of us, 
Jesus wash, washes his apostles' feet. And if you read the entire passage there, the reason that he did that was to teach them lessons about humility, lessons about service. Sacrifice is another lesson that Jesus taught over and over again. Matthew, the fourth chapter, verses 18 through 22. We've already talked about this a little bit. This is when uh, Jesus is selecting Peter and Andrew and James and John. And he says, follow me and I will make you fishers of men. And they get up and do what? They leave everything they know. They give up everything that they know, their livelihood, their family. They don't know where they're going. They just know they're going to follow Jesus. Philippians 2 that we've referred to already, verse 6 says that Jesus did not count equality with God a thing to be grasped. He was uh, in an exalted position, but he took a, a position of humility. He gave that up just so that he could come and fulfill the mission that God had for him. Matthew, the 8th chapter, verses 18 through 22 is a passage that will be familiar with you. This is a passage where there are a couple of people who, who want to be followers of Jesus, and, and he tells one who is a scribe, just want to warn you, foxes have holes, birds have nests, but I don't have anywhere to lay my head. He gave all that up just so that he could fulfill the mission that, uh, that God had given to him. He told another who said, I want to follow you, but I've first got to go bury somebody that let the dead bury the dead. Just follow me. There's sacrifice involved. Matthew 16, the, Matthew the 16th chapter, verses 24 through 26, Jesus tells anyone that wants to follow him that he must deny himself, take up his cross, and follow him. And then, of course, the ultimate sacrifice would be the cross itself. Jesus taught lessons about Faith. In uh, Mark, the fourth chapter, verses 35 through 41, the, uh, the apostles find themselves on a boat. And they're trying to cross the Sea of Galilee once more. Jesus is tired, so he's asleep. But a storm comes up, and the apostles get extremely worried. They, they they're fearful that they're going to capsize. They're fearful that they're all going to drown in the sea. And they wake him up, and he stills the storm. But then the lesson that he teaches to, to them is, is when he asks them, have you still no faith? You've been with me. You know who I am. You know what I'm able to do. But yet you're, you're still fearful of things that, that I can control. Matthew, the 14th chapter, verses 22 through 32, is the story, again, similarly, Jesus is, this time the apostles are on a boat, but Jesus is walking towards them. And they see him, and they're first fearful because they don't know who he is. But when they realize who he, who he is, Peter, just like you discussed this morning, Bob, he's going to be the first one in the water, isn't he? Peter, Peter says, well, I want to walk on the water as well. And Jesus says, well, come on to me. And uh, we know the story there. Peter looked around as he was trying to walk on the water and began to sink. 
and he uh, was rebuked by Jesus on that occasion for having little faith. He lost his faith in Jesus at that point in time. When we think about the miracles that Jesus performed, uh, there's several. When he performed those miracles, he, he said that he did it because of the faith of either the person he performed the miracle for or the people associated with that person. In uh, Matthew the 8th chapter, beginning uh, in verse, or early in that chapter, there's a centurion, a Roman centurion who has a servant who uh, is, is basically not well on the point of death. And uh, he goes to Jesus and he, he requests that Jesus heal his servant. And when Jesus says, well, show me where, he says, no, I, I'm not even worthy for you to come into my home. And he tells that cent this centurion, there's no one in Israel, with no one in Israel have I found such faith. And he heals the servant without even being there. Just after that, in the early part of the ninth chapter, there is a paralytic who is brought to Jesus by four of his friends. And you remember this is the occasion they take the, the bed sheets and they lower him down because they can't get to him any other way from the roof. And it says on that occasion that Jesus, because he saw the faith of those four men, healed the paralytic. Uh, later on in the ninth chapter, there's a woman with a, a discharge of blood and he tells her as he heals her, your faith has made you well. There are two blind men later, even later in this chapter, Matthew chapter 9, verses 27 through 30, who want to be healed as well. And he says, according to your faith, let it be done to you. In Matthew the 15th chap chapter, there's a, a Canaanite woman who has a daughter who is possessed by a demon. And as the discourse goes on back and forth between Jesus and this Canaanite woman uh, who is a Samaritan, who, a Syrophoenician woman rather, who they don't, the Jews and the Syrophoenician, they, they don't associate together. And he has a discourse back and forth with her, but then he says at the end as he heals this woman's daughter, great is your faith. And then such phrases as faith is a mustard seed and faith to move mountains. Those phrases came from the, the very teachings of Jesus. He uh, taught about forgiveness and mercy. Uh, Matthew the 6th chapter verses 11, 12, and this again goes back to the Jesus teaching his disciples to pray. He uh, teaches them not only to pray for forgiveness for themselves, but also that they would be able to forgive others. And as he completes that prayer, in the same passage, he says um, basically that forgiving others will allow us to be forgiven by God, but if we don't forgive others, we will not be able to be forgiven by God. In Matthew the fifth chapter and verse seven, he says, blessed are the merciful, for they shall obtain mercy. In Luke the sixth chapter, verses 27 through 36, he says, it's a long, passage here, but I'm going to take some things out of it. Love your enemies. Do good to those who hate you. Bless those who curse you. Pray for those who abuse you. And at the end of that passage, he says, be merciful even as your Father is merciful. And then we see Jesus' forgiveness shown even while he's hanging on the cross with 
one of the thieves that hangs there with him and with all the others who basically have brought him to that point when he says, Father, forgive them for they don't know what they're doing. He had many lessons about the kingdom. In fact, uh, we've already referred to Matthew, the fourth chapter in verse 17, as he began his mercy, he went everywhere saying, repent for the kingdom of heaven is at hand. Matthew, the sixth chapter in verse 33, again, going back to the Sermon on the Mount, seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness. And then in Matthew, the 13th chapter, he has a parables that are all concerning the kingdom. The parable of the sower. The parable of the weeds or the tares as, as the seed is put out but it has tares among it. That's the way the kingdom grows up within the world. Uh, the parable of mustard seed. The kingdom is, is likened unto a mustard seed that is the smallest of grains. But it becomes the largest of plants within the garden. It becomes a tree. Uh, shortly after that, he compares the kingdom to yeast, to leaven. He compares the kingdom to a treasure in a field. When a man finds that treasure, he goes and sells everything that he has so that he can buy that field and have that treasure. He compares it to a pearl of great price. And he compares the kingdom in, in Matthew 13 to a great catch of fish. Some that are good, some that are not so, and they'll be separated. We've already referred to Jesus teaching the disciples even after his crucifixion and his resurrection, but prior to his ascension. Acts 1 and verse 3 says that he appeared to the disciples during this time period for a period of 40 days speaking about the kingdom of God. So those are some of the the lessons. We could have looked at others such as love, suffering. But the one that I want to focus on for the remainder of the time that we have is this one. Be the light. Be the light. I'm fairly certain that all of the kids in here that are 12 years old and younger could tell us the story about being a light. But let's, let's look a, just a little bit deeper into that. The, the passage that, uh, that I'm referring to here is in Matthew, the fifth chapter, verses 14 through 16. If you want to hold your place there, we'll get back to it. But it, he, he tells those disciples that they're the light of the world. Let's look and see what that means. Down to one page of notes. We're getting there. Along with that, before I look at, before we look at that passage, as I said, hold your your finger there. Jesus also said someone else was the light of the world. In in John the eighth chapter and verse twelve, and John the ninth chapter and verse five, he says, "I am 
the light of the world. I thought that I was a little nervous because Bob has spoken the last two Sundays prior to this one about I am statements from the book of John. He's not focused his lesson necessarily on, on, on more than one, but he's talked about them. And I thought this morning, I said, this is last chance. I hope I do not have to change everything I have going on. You would have just heard a repeat. Yeah, I'm not going to do that. But he says in John the 8th chapter, verse 12, John the 9th chapter, verse 5, I am the light of the world. Okay, so how can he be the light of the world and we are the light of the world? Well, he's not the only one that said that about himself. He, he, he did testify of himself. He was accused by the Pharisees of testifying about himself during the time that he says, I'm the light of the world. But there are others who said that. Uh, in fact, there's prophecy. We've already read one prophecy in Isaiah the ninth chapter and verse 2, although we read it in Matthew 4. And that is the prophecy that, that talks about the great light that would come up among the Gentiles, uh, among Galilee, rather. And, and that great light would shine in the world in a, in a time when there was darkness. And that light refers to Jesus Christ. He was proclaimed also by John in John the first chapter. Let's turn there. We'll spend a little bit more time there. In John the first chapter, and we'll begin in uh, verse 1 of John the first chapter. In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. He was in the beginning with God. All things came into being through Him. And apart from Him nothing came into being that has come into being. In Him was life, and the life was the light of men. The light shines in the darkness, and the darkness did not comprehend it. There came a man sent from God whose name was John. He came as a witness to testify about the light, so that all might believe through him. He was not the light, but he came to testify about the light. There was the true light, which, coming into the world, enlightens every man. He was in the world, and the world was made through him, and the world did not know him. I'm going to stop right there. We, we all know that this passage talks about Jesus. But we see here John, his, his entire mission, as it was told to him by the angel, or it's told to his parents by the angel, was to prepare the way for the one who would come after him, to prepare the way for the light. So Jesus, by the testimony of Isaiah, by the testimony of John, by his own testimony, is, to, is said to be the light of the world. And he truly is. He came into a world at a, at a dark time. And we'll look a little bit more about what light means and darkness means. And he became the light of the world. But he also gives instructions to his disciples that you are the light of the world. And so, what does that mean? What is he saying to his disciples? It, it, he's saying to his disciples, you need to be like me. You need to imitate me because I'm the light of the world. You need to be the light of the world. I'm not going to be here with you forever. You need to be ready to be the light of the world. This applies to, this comes from the John passage, not the passage where he's instructing the disciples that you're the light of the world, but this comes from the, the John 8 verse 12 passage 
that whoever follows me will not walk in darkness, but will have the light of life. So that further defines who those people, those disciples of Christ who are the light of the world, further defines how they are the light of the world. They walk not in darkness, but they have the light of life. Paul admonishes the Philippians, Philippian Christians to be the light of the world. Uh, if you look again in Philippians the sec second chapter, and this is just past all of the passages that we've referred to so far where Jesus is the example of sacrifice and humility. But if you look beginning in um, verse 14, do all things without grumbling or disputing so that you will prove yourselves to be blameless and innocent. Children of God above reproach in the midst of a crooked and perverse generation among whom you appear as lights in the world. Does that remind you of the first or the second passage that we read tonight about light coming into the darkness? That's what Paul tells the Philippian Christians that they're to be. Lights in the middle of a, a crooked and perverse generation. But why are we supposed to be lights? Yes, it's to carry on the mission of, of Christ. But did you notice, we'll go back to the passage I haven't read yet. In uh, Matthew, the uh, fifth, <coughs> fifth chapter, beginning in verse 12. Matthew 5 and verse 12, it says, Excuse me, Matthew 5 and verse 14. You are the light of the world. A city set on a hill cannot be hidden, nor does anyone light a lamp and put it under a basket, but on the lampstand, and it gives light to all those who are in the house. That makes us pretty special, doesn't it? We'd be like Christ. We'd be the light of the world. Now, read the next verse. Let your light shine before men in such a way that they may see your good works. I'm stop there again. Makes us pretty special, doesn't it? People can see what we're doing. Yeah. And glorify your Father who is in heaven. Everything that we do as lights is so that God can be glorified. I'm gonna, whoops. Try that again. Catch up to where I'm supposed to be. Okay. Jesus is the light of the world. Christians are the light of the world. Let's look at this, if you can see it, because I can't see that back there. I'm not going to use colors again. Light and darkness do not mix. We, we know what light does. Um, you can't really find it too much around here, but if you ever find a, a, a place that is pitch dark, where you literally cannot see the hand in front of your face. The, the thing that, that I come to mind when I think about this is being either in, been in a couple places like this, DeSoto Caverns or Ruby Falls, if you've been to either of those places. <clears throat> Ruby Falls is a really good example because you go down there and they've got this, you can hear it. They've got this waterfall that drops and I don't know how far it drops, but and it's in Tennessee, which 
Yeah. Anyway, they'll turn the lights out on you. And uh, if, if you've been there and you have small children, be prepared for that. Because your children will freak just a little bit. But you literally cannot see your hand in front of your face. But then they'll come bring the lights up behind that waterfall. And it's really a beautiful sight at that point in time. But those two things do not mix because you either have darkness or you have light. There's no way that those two things mix. Uh, once you introduce light into darkness, it is no longer darkness, it's light. Light is equal when you, when you read, it's, it's symbolic, it's analogous to good or righteousness. Darkness is analogous to, analogous to evil or, or sin. And the passage, I think, that really illustrates this is in 1 John, the first chapter. Let's take a look at that. 1 John, chapter 1. And you'll notice from reading this that this is going to be a lot, to begin with, it's going to sound a lot like John the first chapter. But anyway, we'll begin reading in, in verse 1. What was from the beginning, what we have heard, what we have seen with our eyes, what we have looked at and touched with our hands concerning the word of life, and the life was manifested, and we have seen and testified and proclaimed to you the eternal life, which was with the Father and was manifested to us. What we have seen and heard we proclaim to you also, so that you too may have fellowship with us. And indeed, our fellowship is with the Father and with His Son, Jesus Christ. These things we write so that our joy may be made complete. And then he says the following. This is the message we have heard from Him and announced to you that God is light. And in Him there is no darkness at all. If we say that we have fellowship with Him, and yet walk in darkness. We lie and do not practice the truth. But if we walk in the light, as He Himself is in the light, we have fellowship with one another, and the blood of Jesus His Son cleanses us from all sin. And this is the message that we should be taking to the world as, as fishers of men, that light and darkness are very different. And light signifies being right with God, and darkness signifies being wrong with God. And this is where you need to be. And the only way you can be that way is to have fellowship with God. The only way you can do, be that way is to avoid those things that are of darkness. So practical applications. And normally I, I would... Uh, <clears throat> try to make some, some very practical applications about what we've spoken about so far, but I can't do it better than what the Scriptures do it. And so we're going to look at two passages of Scripture to close our lesson, and, and, and then the lesson truly will be yours. Romans, the 13th chapter, will be the first one. Romans 13, and we'll, we'll read verses 11 through 14. And I'm not really going to comment a whole lot about them. Other than when I, I'm going to preface Romans 13 um, by saying that there are, a lot of pas there are a lot of references in this passage to time and things that concern time. So it's something that's urgent. All right, Romans 13, 
verses 11 through 14. Do this knowing the time that it is already the hour for you to awaken from sleep. What is sleep synonymous with? Normal people, and that does not include me, sleep during the dark time. Um, most of you know I swing shift back and forth, and so I, sometimes I sleep during the day. But normal people sleep during the night, and so sleep is synonymous with those things that take place within the darkness. For now salvation is nearer to us than when we believed. The night is almost gone, the day is near. Therefore let us lay aside the deeds of darkness and put on the armor of light. Let us behave properly as in the day, not in carousing and drunkenness, not, not in sexual promiscuity and sensuality, not in strife and jealousy, but put on the Lord Jesus Christ and make, make no provision for the flesh in regard to its lust. And I think that passage pretty much speaks for itself. One other passage, Ephesians the fifth chapter, and we'll beginning in verse eight. Ephesians chapter five, beginning in verse eight. For you were formerly darkness, but now you are light in the Lord. Walk as children of light. And as Paul will often do, he's going to give us a list. He's going to give us a couple of lists, actually. Just got to kind of pick them out a little bit. For the fruit of the light consists in all goodness and righteousness and truth. Trying to learn what is pleasing to the Lord. Do not participate in the unfruitful deeds of darkness, but instead even expose them. For it is disgraceful even to speak of the things which are done by them in secret. But all things become visible when they, when they are exposed by the light, for everything that becomes visible is light. For this reason it says, Awake, sleeper, and arise from the dead, and Christ will shine on you. Therefore be careful how you walk, not as unwise men, but as wise making the most of your time because the days are evil. So then do not be foolish, but understand what the will of the Lord is. So those things that are associated with the light are those things like goodness, righteousness, truth. Um, and then wise. And then those things that are the will of the Lord. Then our second list. And do not get drunk with wine, for that is dissipation, to be, but to be filled with the Spirit. Speaking to one, or, one another in psalms and hymns and spiritual songs, singing and make melody with your heart to the Lord, always giving thanks for all things in the name of our Lord Jesus Christ, to God, even the Father, and be subject to one another in the fear of Christ. Again, another passage. And, and uh, it, the passages are similar in that they're, they're very general statements, and, and, but they're related to one another. And where Paul gives instructions to those that he's writing to on how to be children of light, how to be the light of the world. The lesson is yours. The question is whether or not we are the lights of the world. And I think we've seen that being a light of the world means that Romans 13, that you put on Christ. Not only that you put on Christ, but that you are walking in the light. It may be that 
tonight you find yourself in a position where you never have put on Christ. It may be that you find yourself in a position where you have put on Christ, but you're no longer walking in the light, and that means that you're in darkness. Darkness is not where you want to be. If you walk around in even the partial dark, you get hurt that way, especially as you get older. But you'll really get hurt if you continue to walk in spiritual darkness. You will, you will bust up more than a big toe. Christ himself extends an invitation and, and we offer that invitation as we stand and sing this closing song.